So normally at this time, I would say kids are dismissed to Bible adventures. Um, they can do their Bible adventure here with us as we go on a Bible adventure of our own. Um, so if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 13. It's going to be our adventure text for the day. Um, I love uh, thinking about stories, and so we're going to read a bunch of stories together um, from Matthew 13. It's a bold idea to think about the entire chapter of Matthew 13 in just 25 minutes, but here we go. So to begin, I want to tell you a story about a mother and two sons. Now, it's important that I clarify that no real actual sons are defamed in the telling of this story since my mother is here and she happens to have two sons, me being one of them. Um, So this mother comes into her home um, and she exclaims, the trash is overflowing. She looks over and the first son is there sitting at his laptop. His laptop is closed and he's got a book open and he's reading, but he has his earbuds in. She can tell he's not actually listening to anything, but he doesn't flinch. So she comes closer and kind of taps him on the shoulder, and he, he kind of goes, can't hear you, you know. Um, so she kind of says, like, I, did you hear I came in? The trash is overflowing. This is what's going on. I need the trash to be taken out. And he just kind of goes, what? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think I compute what you're asking me to do here. I, m- taking the trash out is just not what my, it's kind of below my intellectual ability um, at this point. Uh, so he argues with her about trash and all that stuff, and she leaves expecting him to do nothing with the information that he heard. Uh, she goes and finds the second son, and as she walks into the room, he jumps up from playing video games with his brother or his, uh, with his friends, and, uh, and he's like, Mom, you're the best, and he gives her a big hug, and he's just like so excited that she's there, and, and he says, man, I, I heard you came into the house, and the trash is overflowing. I know me and my friends were eating and partying, and, and we filled up the trash can, so I know we're going to take the trash out. We're going to do that. We would do anything for you, and the mother leaves, right? As she was talking to the second son, the first son actually takes the trash out. But the second son just goes on with his day and never actually remembers to even go check on whether the trash still needs to be taken out. Which of the two sons heard what the mother's request was? Have you been there, right, wondering if people actually really heard you? Maybe they heard what you said, but did they, if they did, would they respond the way that they did? Um, I think Jesus really seems to care about how people responded, not just heard, but how they responded to what they heard him saying. So that's where we begin this morning in Matthew chapter 13. Um, And we'll come back to kind of this house that Jesus is in and the interaction he has with his family that's the ending of chapter 12. But let's pick up. It says that same day in verse 1 of 13, he went out of the house and sat by the lake. And such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. And while all the people stood on shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came, and they ate it up. And then some fell on rocky places, and it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly, Because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. 
And other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it had a chance to produce a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now the disciples ask a good question. Why do you speak to the people in parables, in these stories? And so Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. And so whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word, and as we've heard it, may we not just hear the words, but may we respond and do something with them. May we respond to the nearness of your kingdom, your rule and reign in our lives, in a tangible way today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who's given us these words. Amen. Um, so uh, we are in a series called Building, um, and I love that we're in this new year, uh, starting off kind of with two messages on the idea of building as a verb. Because we've been thinking of that kind of 2019 at the Glendale Church was kind of defined as building with a noun reference. So we thought about our space being more hospitable, that in fact about a year ago now we purchased these chairs to replace some pews that were starting to have their end of life. And so we wanted it to be a hospitable space, Um, using coffee mugs instead of throwaway styrofoam, to painting the exterior of our property so we look a little less prison-like than we did before. Um, So we really tried to think about the fact that though the kingdom of God is not about a physical space, it's not a building. This church is the people that come here and that are part of a family that is known as the Glendale Church. And so what might it look like for 2020 to be the year where we are building, in that verb sense, the community, or what we are calling the home in L.A. that we are trying to be? And so Brian's message last week was a sermon challenge to share a meal with someone. I think I have the challenge up there. Think of someone in our church whom you want to get to know, that you don't know very well, and even in a small church, that still can be the case, that those of you who sit on the right and those of you who sit on the left don't know each other. Um, So maybe you need to, at family time, get your calendars out and find that person and say, hey, we're going to get a couple meals together this year. That the kingdom of God, this building process, might be easier than we think it is. It's kind of eating and drinking together. Um, and so he also said he challenged us to think of someone not part of our church. So a colleague, a coworker, a neighbor, uh, someone in your sphere of influence and friendship that you can have lunch, that you can eat and drink with and think about building this kingdom with them. So today, um, I want us to think about these parables 
as uh, an invitation to think practically about this idea of eating and drinking with each other. Uh, Brian looked at the story of Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke and how uh, Jesus came and asked Zacchaeus, come on down, I'm going to your house today. And it was in that encounter at the table that big things changed, that the kingdom really was sown and received. And so as we think about Matthew's Gospel, um, these parables are also about this hospitality, this hospitableness nature of our hearts to the message of God's kingdom. That in fact, we might find ourselves as one of these soils that the seed is planted in. So if you have Matthew 13 open, let's just take a look at these parables together. The first one is often called the parable of the sower, and it's the one we read. Um, but it's probably better called the, the parable of the four soils. So the first soil is the path. And it's kind of like this hard-trodden ground. And so we, we understand that as kind of people's receptivity to God's message as being hard. There's nowhere for this message about God's nearness and presence to go in their life. It would be like me throwing seed on this cement floor here. There's no chance for it to go down into the ground and to produce a plant that is going to do anything. It's unproductive. But there's also a part to the hardness of the path that's a little difficult. It says these birds come and take the seed away. And in the explanation in Matthew 13, if you uh, are skimming through that chapter, you'll come to kind of an explanation of the parable. The, the seed is this message of God's kingdom, and this, these birds are kind of the evil one, uh, exercising, stealing the opportunity. So it's not just that the path is hard, but it's that they, they're robbed from even the chance of letting the kingdom message do anything in their life. So I think about the time when I was driving uh, in my SUV that I had just gotten for two, I had it for two weeks. It wasn't brand, brand new, but it was brand new to me. My brother was in the car, and there was a cello in the backseat. We were off from summer camp. We were leaving early, headed down the mountain to go to a wedding rehearsal, and I lost control of the car on the gravel road, and we had a crash. We go in off the side of the road and hit a tree. Lucky for us, we didn't keep rolling down and down and down into the gully. Instead, we were right there on the edge of the road. And as the tow truck driver flipped the car over and he was pulling it out of the ditch, he asked where we were coming from because he knew there was a Christian camp up there. And I said, well, I'm a counselor up there this week, and my brother was a camper. And he said, don't let Satan use this to steal, to rob the message that was planted at this camp. Because trauma and loss and these experiences that we have can often rob us from the chance of letting God's kingdom and nearness in our lives really change the way that we live. And so it's not just that there's this, this antithesis, this adversary, this evil person. It's that actually there's things in our life that, that just rob us from the chance of letting God's word really bury itself in our hearts. Um, and so Jesus is warning against these things that are going to come and steal that. Uh, two of the other soils that are um, unproductive, if you will, are the, the rocky place and the thorns. Both of them are kind of like the second son in the parable that I told you at the beginning. He receives the message with joy, right? The, 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 produce, the seed produces a, a really quick um, plant in the, the first story of the, the rocky soil. And then all of a sudden it, it dies just quickly before it has a chance to actually reproduce anything and to produce a crop. And so Jesus, in, in many ways, this warning is about 
the cares, the things that we focus on, um, and in, in some ways the, the explanation calls out money and some of these forces that are at work in our life. And so as we see these soils, we have to realize that Matthew intends all of these parables, but especially the one about the soil, to warn us not to repeat the past failures of others, especially of the people of Israel, as they're there and Jesus is walking among them, and they still reject Jesus' message for many reasons, but one of them being the things they're focusing on, like money. And so I, I like the fact that um, Matthew puts all of these parables together because sometimes we look at that last soil, the good soil, and we think, well, it has to be like really successful. It has to have a hundred times fold. So we're thinking about the stock market and the interest rates and all these things. And we think, well, if there's not a really, really big success, then the kingdom of God must not be present. It must not be planted well. This soil must not be good. And so we think that about our own hearts and lives or about our family members or about our churches or even just about the idea of, is Jesus's message really true? that this kingdom has come present. And so that's where we get to the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And it has a twin parable told a little bit later called the ter- parable of the dragnet or the, the big net. Um, so if you look at these two parables, they really uh, are kind of difficult to understand. This farmer, this master has this field. He plants really good seed. Then an enemy comes in and puts bad weeds in there or tares. And then The servants come and say, Master, I thought that you did a good crop, but why are there weeds present? And so they're like, should we go in and just pull out all these weeds? He says, no, no, don't pull out the weeds because you might pull up the wheat as well. So in taking out the bad, you might take out the good as well. Wait until the end. And so Jesus seems to be saying that at the end, there's this judgment that's going to happen, this sifting between good and bad in the uh, parable of the net. It's the kingdom of God is like a net and brings in all kinds of fish, and then the angels are going to sift out, sort out the good fish from the bad fish. And so the kingdom is present, but unexpectedly, evil is also present. And so while we might think that success, that the kingdom of God being present with us means that there isn't evil, that we're taking care of business, that we're rooting out evil and getting rid of it, Jesus is trying to remind us that there is going to still be evil present, and that does not mean the kingdom has not come. And that, yes, there is going to be judgment, and there's this sifting that's going to be caused by the message of God's nearness, but that's not our role. As servants, we're not the ones to determine what's wheat and what's a weed or what's a good fish, what's a bad fish, that I'm not to be determining of that. Um, and so then we come to this, the parable co- twins of the mustard seed and the leaven. And I love this one because the mustard seed is called the, the smallest of all seeds, and yet it grows into this great plant. And then um, Jesus talks about, yeah, you think that this work is seemingly insignificant. It's like a yeast, a, a woman who takes a pinch of yeast and works it through an entire dough. And so while you may think that this kingdom message, this nearness of God hasn't really influenced our world at all, it's like yeast that's just working its way through. While you might not see the successes, it's like the smallest of seed that's going to grow. That just because you feel like evil is here, that doesn't mean the kingdom is not also present. 
All of these parables really focus on the responsibility of us to hear, to understand, and to respond in some way to Jesus' message. And I think that response is not a temporary, unproductive faith, but one that moves into capturing the whole person. And so that's when we get into the treasure in the field, buried, and then the pearl of great price. So you may be kind of envisioning Nicolas Cage in National Treasure where he has all these maps and we're trying to find all the secrets and the secret codes. We talked a little bit about code language in the Bible this morning in our Revelation class um, at 9.30. So as, you, as you're thinking about kind of this guy who's seeking a treasure, it might be more happenstance like a guy at the beach who's got the metal detector beep, 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 you know, he finds this amazing find, right? And he goes and he, he buries it again. And so it's kind of an interesting story. He buries it and he goes and sells everything he has to buy this field. And then the pearl is even more, so he's looking for fine pearls and he's got a bunch of fine pearls probably, but he sells everything he has, including all the other good pearls, to buy this one pearl of great price. You see, I think the kingdom is not something that just bursts onto the scene and everybody recognizes it as really valuable. I think if you know its value and you recognize it, that's when you shift what you think is important. I think the kingdom of God is just waiting for that recognition of its actual true value, that it's worth all we have for sure. But it's a little bit more maybe a parable about Um, kind of trying to have us abandon what we really think life is all about and choose to focus on what Jesus' message really is, that we should follow him and give up everything else. And so it's not that the kingdom of God isn't already there. It's, It's like a treasure buried. It's like a pearl that's out there on the market already. It's just waiting for us to recognize its value and actually follow with such radical action. And so I think it's important at this juncture to actually correct a little bit of our own sermon series theology here, that we don't bring the kingdom of God, right? We're calling this series Building the Kingdom of God Together, but we don't bring it. It's not new because of the Glendale Church. It's already present here. That what we are doing, what we're trying to build, is a community that witnesses and demonstrates to the presence of the kingdom that's already there. It's already here by how we respond and listen and live out this message. So this brings us, I think, a little bit back to what Brian said uh, last week about Luke's gospel. He uses these phrases, the Son of Man came. One of them, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so in the story of Zacchaeus, this is a lost guy. He's confused about what really is important in life. He's aligned himself with Rome, and he's taking up all this taxation, and he's just amassing all this wealth, and he's got all of this big house and all this money, but he doesn't have genuine relationships and friends. And in this encounter with Jesus, he really, it upends his whole uh, priorities. And so definitely Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But Luke's gospel also says that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so for Brian, 
and I think for, for me as well, I really see Jesus' ministry as one of hospitality where he eats and drinks with people. And it's around the table that real kingdom work changes. Things uh, like uh, economic relief, morality, about things like um, the sanctity of all human life. Jesus really has these kind of conversations around the table, not necessarily in the synagogue. It's in eating and drinking that a guy like Zacchaeus is said to have had salvation enter his house. Um, And so I think as we look at Matthew's gospel today and these parables that seem to be, especially the soils, thinking about our hospitality, our hospitableness to the message of Jesus. Is our heart a good soil where it can produce 100, 60, 30? Or is our heart hardened or burdened with cares or choked out by the things that we prioritize? Um, And really, Matthew 13 is situated in the midst of kind of a telling of how people have responded to Jesus's message. So if I, if I have um, just kind of your, uh, your attention, I would encourage you to go back and read like Matthew 7, uh, Matthew 8, sorry, Matthew 8, which is after um, the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew 8 on to Matthew 12, and then a few chapters after Matthew 13, so like 14 and 15. And you'll see some encounters where Jesus is in places where he wants to teach and he wants to do miraculous signs. He actually heals lepers and he uh, helps people who are paralyzed and he eats with tax collectors. Matthew is one of them. Matthew is the one who's writing this and he was a tax collector. And so um, Jesus is encountering these people who are hospitable to his message and then he's also in towns that are not hospitable, Capernaum and other places that are not hospitable to his message. He can't do miracles. And so the end of chapter 12 Jesus is in a house before he goes out to teach these parables in the lake, and it's an encounter with his, his family. So let's just read quickly this um, part of Matthew chapter 12, the verses 46 uh, and following. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside of this house wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied, who is my mother and my, who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so I think for Jesus, he's, um, he's noticing and trying to point out that the people who are closest to him, the people that are his family, truly are the people who don't just merely hear that God's kingdom has come near, but they do something about it. In, in Mark 3, we're told a similar story about Jesus' family coming uh, to him, and they think he's out of his mind. They say, we've got to go take charge of him because he's kind of living so uh, kind of between homes and, and as a wandering teacher. And they start to catch wind that some of the other established leaders are wanting to kill him. And so they say, we've got to go and intervene. And this is the true family intervention. And so this, I kind of like to think, of is Jesus' response to the family intervention, right? You may hear my words, but you haven't really done anything with them. So he tells all these parables about the soil, and he tells about the seemingly insignificance of the kingdom, and yet how it permeates the whole dough. And at the end of Matthew chapter 13, it says this, while Jesus was still 
Uh, sorry, that was Matthew 12, Matthew 13. Um, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, and coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas? Um, aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The four soils are about hospitality and openness to the word of God's nearness, the kingdom. And I think as Jesus really cares about how we respond, he cares about how his family and how his town, his hometown responded. And he wasn't able to do the things he wanted to do there. He didn't get to have the kingdom work its way through their community the way that he wanted. It didn't produce the fruit that he was hoping because they weren't hospitable to it. And so what better way to actually be part of this kingdom message, to be ones that are good soil producing um, fruit, than to actually do it in practical hospitality ways. So I think about eating and drinking again. That when we eat and drink with each other, with our neighbors and with our friends, we are hearing and responding to the kingdom. That we're recognizing it in a tangible way by the ways that we eat and drink with each other. So, so how might we do this? Um, I've been thinking about this message, and I was talking with Jim earlier, that many times when you prepare a sermon, there's all these good things that you can't fit into the 25 minutes or so that you want. And so I've learned probably more uh, in this time than I'm able to even express. But one of the ways that it's challenged me um, is how much margin I have in my life. Um, I really want to produce good fruit. And so I chase ideas that I think might produce 100 or 30 or 60. Um, so I try and plan more outings for our church or more activities or more chances for me to preach, which I know that obviously that wouldn't produce as much fruit as hanging out and watching football together. But, um, but I think about that. I chase those ideas, and I realize that sometimes by having a busy calendar— I'm not able to actually be present for the people that God has put there. I'm not able to be the yeast working through the communities that I would be part of because I'm running to be across town or to be somewhere else. And so I think, practically speaking, we need to create margin in our lives. Um, if we want to be hospitable, practically speaking, like having people over to eat and drink with, we actually have to have enough relationship with them, to know their names, to have their phone numbers, for it not to be weird that I came up to you and said, won't you come over for dinner? And in fact, I would challenge you to try and see how you can be invited over to their home. Jesus wasn't having Zacchaeus in his home. He ate and drank and practiced hospitality in Zacchaeus's home, right? He gave up the position of power to not be the host the busy one who was cooking all the food and, and, and controlling the narrative, he came as a guest. And in doing so, he changed a whole town's economic system. 
Um, so I think practically I have to stop watching so much TV. I can't be up to date on all of Netflix's new shows to binge this weekend. Um, I have to be out walking the neighborhood or sitting on my front porch or having a drink with a friend in a local bar. I have to be in these places regularly. I cannot be um, watching just my own home. Uh, then practically, uh, oh, sorry, I, I have this written in here just because I was going to forget it. The, the FOMO, we need to resist FOMO. So ask a millennial what FOMO means. Um, fear of missing out. So I can't be on my phone all the time trying to relive everybody else's experiences on, on Instagram. Um, I need to actually be out uh, regularly in places that may not seem like the coolest thing. Um, we may have to give up the fear that we're going to miss out on what's driving our culture. Um, secondly, I think about when I try and host people at my home, it's a really uh, good excuse to clean up, to tidy up. And if you've been to my house, you know that I actually don't tidy up that much because it's a mess. But, um, but I, I imagine what it would be if I didn't tidy up the little bit that I do. Um, so that can be a barrier, right? The dishes aren't done. I don't want to have friends over. Uh, I don't have enough space in my tiny apartment to have people over for a meal. It's not going to work. What if we actually thought about Jesus' message as being worth all that we have and being the focus of our life, that we actually thought about the furniture that we purchase, the way that we tidy and clean our house, and it doesn't have to be perfect, right? This is, we're not about perfection here. We're about thinking about barriers to why we don't have people over, Right? And so I might have to say no to buying that new thing, that new item, that new piece of junk that's going to take up more room. But, but then pushing beyond just actual physical space, right? I mean, I think, I think there's something to that. Our physical space is a great reality check for our lives. If you can't open the door of my, my heart because you're running into stuff and junk, you can't get into my life, right? If there's no space for you to sit and eat and drink with me, emotionally, and, and in my heart. Um, again, this goes back to the margin that we have to create. And I think our, our physical space, our homes even, can be this way. Um, if you're in an apartment, what common spaces exist in your apartment or nearby or local coffee shops or local places that you can be present where you can be hospitable even if it's not in your physical home, but you can create hospitable spaces where you're there. I think of Christina at the local uh, Starbucks nearby creates a hospitable place by just knowing people's names. Um, so I think uh, Jesus modeled this hospitality, this way of living, and how he allowed them into his life. And it was in, like these hospitable moments at Zacchaeus' house, of eating and drinking, that these really bigger kingdom ideas worked their way through the whole dough. And he created these little communities, these little homes that permeated the whole world so that now we can't even imagine a world that wasn't shaped or worked through by the image of the cross in Jesus' life. I think our ethics would change. In an election year in 2020, our conversations about immigration reform and about our own biases and hatred and things that we think are really, really difficult, gun reform could be changed by kingdom communities, if we let people into our homes, if we ate and drank and talked about these things that really mattered, if we had margin and space 
in our life because Zacchaeus was this big guy who had a lot of control in the town. He oppressed people by taking their taxation, and in a conversation around a table eating and drinking, he gave so much money away. He changed his taxation practices. He changed the way that that community existed. And so I think we too often underestimate the power of the kingdom of God and the kingdom message. It's way simpler than we think. It's about eating and drinking together. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you for this message today. May our hearts be receptive. May we have ears to hear, eyes to see, that we might turn and you would heal us. Thank you for uh, the chance uh, to think about practical ways, about neighbors and colleagues, about people in this room who we might begin small uh, here today just eating and drinking together and let the kingdom message would permeate our whole lives and so change the world. So we thank you for your kingdom that is present here. Uh, we pray that you, uh, you set your rule and reign on our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.